Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs, almost forgot that, and CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I'd like to introduce you to Paulina Finnick, who is doing a PhD in rehabilitation science under the supervision of Dr. Beata Batteritz. Welcome to GradChat. Great to have you on the show, Paulina. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. That's good. And it's actually funny because it's really nice to finally meet Paulina in person because we were meant to have met each other at, um, last summer in dissertation on the lake. And at the last minute, uh, Paulina was unable to uh, attend that. I bet you were a bit disappointed you couldn't be a part of it. I was. I was very disappointed. I, uh, I was unfortunately very ill at the time and had COVID-like symptoms. And right. so I didn't want to make anyone feel too nervous around me. No, I can totally understand that, although I was prepared. We had testing kits. We had a cabin ready. We could have bought your meals and left them outside for you. But no, it was, it, you did the right thing. And I'm glad you're feeling a lot better now yes. for it. I heard it was wonderful. Another time. Yes. Another time. Now, you're in the Rehabilitation Science Programme, and that has students coming from all sorts of backgrounds into it. What is your background? And and then why Rehabilitation Science? Yes, Uh, my background is actually a speech-language pathologist. So I worked as a speech-language pathologist for about 25 years and worked with children with physical disabilities and uh, speech impairments. So rehabilitation science kind of just came very naturally evolved from, from that. And I worked as a clinician for a long time, and I also worked as a middle manager for quite a long time at uh, Children's Treatment Center, mm. who then merged with CHEO. And I just found that over the years I was in the middle management role, I, w- I wanted to uh, change direction and look into research, and that's kind of how I ended up here. Glutton for punishment, coming back? <laughs> <laughs> no. As a mature student, I have a very different perspective right. than uh, when I was younger. I cherish studying right now, and that's I fantastic. love every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. And that, and that's I think, is the beauty of rehabilitation science. We have, like I said, we have people who have been out in the workforce, seen something that they want to change, and then they go, but I've got to be able to prove it to a point. Therefore, I'm going to come back and do some more study on it. So we often have um, physical therapists and occupational therapists. We've got an architect in there and who'd have thought, mm-hmm. what can architecture do in terms of rehabilitation science? But as Navjeet told us, it was all about designing the right sort of buildings for, for children with disabilities, etc. And now, of course, now you with the, the speech pathology, which I think that's my first 
That's wonderful. First speech pathologist on the show, so thank you very much for that. That's wonderful. I hope I won't be the last because we have quite a few other speech-language pathologists that are now in the rehabilitation science program since I've joined. So Brilliant. It's wonderful. Is that sort of an area that your supervisor is really into and sort of recruiting people from speech pathology? Because I imagine there's a lot of areas you can be looking at in speech pathology. There are a lot of areas. I think in the in the augmentative and alternative communication field, people come from various backgrounds. So it could be occupational therapy, and my supervisor is occupational therapist by background. It could be speech-language pathology. It could be even physiotherapists as well. But I think that my supervisor is really interested in pragmatics and mm-hmm. uh, communication as well. And, and because augmentative communication is such an interdisciplinary field, I think that there's just happened to be more speech-language pathologists that have approached her recently with some interest which is brilliant which is wonderful and and as we know I mean speech pathology speech in general communication is super important for all of us regardless of how we do that whether it's through visuals whether it's through auditory whether it's through sign language for instance we still need to be able to communicate and so it's vitally important and particularly with young children who or children are young who have some other disabilities and things, it must be twice as difficult for them to sort of get through what they're trying to say. And because you can't read their, what their brain is saying all the time. So let's get on to your research topic, which, because you use some words there that are part of your research topic, you're looking at the environmental factors related to literacy development for people with physical disabilities who use augmentative and alternative communication. Before you answer or give me a bit of an overview of that, what made you choose this topic? Is it something dear to your heart? Is it something you sought out when you were practicing? What made you want to delve into this research area? When I worked as a clinician, I worked at augmentative and alternative communication at Ottawa Children's Treatment Centre for some time. And as I was engaged with the families and the teachers and the individuals who used AAC, it became quite obvious that how difficult it was for them to, or some of them, to attain literacy Mm -hmm. and that they were lagging behind. And it was very difficult also for the teachers to engage them in the classroom and they were struggling of how to get them engaged in the reading and writing skills. And so I became quite interested in why I start to question why is it why is it that they're lagging behind and why is it so much more difficult for them and that's Mm -hmm. how what brought me here. So do you want to give me a bit of an overview of what you're trying to do in this particular project? Absolutely. So a lot of the time what happens, so I'm looking at population who are not able to communicate using speech or they're using speech and they need augmentative system to help them to to communicate. A lot of them, they have a physical disability where they are not able to manipulate the environment around them. They could be possibly in a wheelchair. They have some level of impairment in terms of fine motor skills. And so they often begin communicating when, because they are not able to use their speech, they begin communicating by using graphic symbols. So they're, they're basically like okay. picture symbols. They could be picture symbols that are just printed on a piece of paper where they would be 
pointing to what it is what they want. So if they want to get juice, they would be either pointing to juice or they may be needing to use, or they may have a higher system where they would need to like use head switch in order to get to that symbol. But they start communicating with graphic symbols very often. And then they slowly evolve to progress towards literacy. Right. And so that was my interest is to look at what kind of factors in their environment are helpful for that progression to occur. So I guess the obvious first question is, what do you mean by augmentative and alternative communication? And, and maybe I can step back one more. What is the prevalence of this issue in Canada? Or is it, or you're looking at full over Canada or within the province? You know, what, you know, what is the percentage of, or, or numbers? Yes, excellent question. So let me start by just saying that augmentative communication can be used by many different people, various cultures, different countries, and different socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. And it can occur at any point in time, like it could be something you may need to use it because you are born with a disability such as cerebral palsy, or maybe you acquired a disability such as a person who may, for example, have a stroke. Mm -hmm. And so that you may need to use it over your lifetime, or you may need to use it at a certain moment in right. time. And it is estimated that about 97 million people worldwide could benefit from augmentative and wow. alternative communication. My study is looking internationally. So okay. I have recruited for my first study internationally. And my second study is in Canada and the United States. And augmentative communication basically is any way that individual would need to communicate besides using speech or to augment uh, right. to, uh, uh, along with speech. And uh, also it could be for writing. So it could be a system that helps because somebody's not able to uh, handwrite. So right. they may need to help them to, to be able to communicate using written form as well. And what's the age group of these children that you're looking at? The people in my studies are all ages because my first study is a retrospective study. Oh, okay, so finding so, out what's been going on already. Yes. So that my first study, I'm actually recruited individuals who with physical disability and who are using augmentative communication who are... Uh, are fully literate and they're able to express themselves right. uh, and spell. And they told me, so I was asking them about how they managed to do the transition from using graphic symbols when they were learning right. and how they became literate and what factors helped them to do that. So those individuals aged, I think the youngest one I was 23 and the oldest was 58. Right. And then in my second study, it's a cross-sectional study. And so it's in the moment of time and I'm looking at adolescents. And so they are adolescents who are in the process of learning. So they are 10 to 19. That's a really big range, isn't it? It is a quite, a, yeah. quite a range. And dare I ask when you're, when, well, first of all, how do you find subjects I don't know what your clients or mm -hmm. whatever you, your, your audience that you're going to be using as part of so where do you find them yes I have to say that recruitment was a very big challenge for mm -hmm. me because I'm looking at a population that's very specific right and so I did look internationally so I used social media 
and I also use the International Society for Augmentative Communication, and they also shared the information through their various chapters. They have chapters in various countries. So I I was able to recruit that way, but it took me quite a while to find my participants. And so I'm, I've been successful for my first study. I have 14 adults and uh, I have all the data. And for my second study, I am still in process of right. doing that recruitment. I am about 50% there or 60% there right now. How do you focus what you want to do? Because as you said, some people need augmentative help at a later stage in life for instance, if they had a stroke. But then you've got the kids who've also got disabilities from birth who made who, who may need assistance. But the learning's going to be different, I would imagine, mm-hmm. particularly for a, a young kid who's trying to suck in everything possible that they can, whereas an adult knows what they want to do and what not want to do. They've got a bit of a more of a, an idea themselves. So how, what kind of... How are you going to hone in the focus? Because you can't do the whole breadth surely no and that's that's definitely I'm narrowing it down so the people who are part of my study are individuals who are born with a disability they're not the acquired uh, they haven't acquired their disability and they so they would also have had to use graphic symbols at some stage in their life it doesn't happen with everyone in Africa for example there were some individuals couple individuals who did contact me but they would not qualify for my study because they have never used they were literate however they have never used graphic symbols and because I'm, I'm studying that transition right from graphic um, to the next stage yes right. they, 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 they wouldn't have qualified so yes the people in my study they have a physical disability they have had used graphic symbols at least at some point as well and they're using augmentative communication so with these children with disabilities there's a lot of kids that we don't know what their disability is because it doesn't get picked up quickly enough. So are these more obvious disabilities where right from the get-go they've struggled? Yes, I would say a majority of the individuals in my study, they have cerebral palsy and that's diagnosed right from birth. Right. And so it's a movement disorder, movement disorders and uh, severe speech impairment right. uh, for the ones that are, have qualified for my study. So you've talked about pictures. Mm-hmm. which I love pictures because, as we <laughs> say, a picture says a thousand words. Yes. <laughs> it's like a thousand words. But you said it's not all just about the speech itself. Sometimes it's the writing and everything. Are you hoping down the track that some of this will go from the pictures to, I don't know, using an iPad or something for their communication? Or are you hoping down the track that they will get some speech or at least be able to write themselves? So I think that really varies. Mm -hmm. The goal of augmentative communication per se is to help those individuals attain speech or writing regardless of whether they're using a device or not. So you want them to function in the world and the device is is only there to to be as an aid aid. in Mm -hmm. order for it to happen. My study itself is looking at and uh, environmental factors that facilitate literacy. So, uh, yes, so I am asking individuals uh, uh, who have become literate what factors help them to do that. And so uh, I am interested in what things in their environment, whether it's people or 
objects, societal expectations, devices, the layout of the device, all sorts of things that actually help them to facilitate that. And also then in my second study, I'm getting also information about what helped them with that because I'm asking them about moment in time. So what happens is those adolescents, they're communicating with their caregiver. I just ask them some simple questions like, what do you like to do with your mom? Or what kind of TV shows do you watch? And they're talking to their mom. They're using their device. And while they're using their device, I am filming not only their interaction, but also I'm filming their actual device screen. And I'm looking at when they're spelling and I'm looking at when they're choosing to use a symbol. And then I ask them about the reasons why they decided to spell or why they decided to use a picture symbol. We also... In the follow-up sessions, I actually choose the actual segments when that occurred, and we we watch it together on a video so that they can remember. So not only I ask in the moment in time, but I also ask so that they view the video, they view that segment, and they tell me why they made that choice. So often, it could be things. So again, what are the things in the environment that help them to spell? Right. And so often it, I'm finding it, it's things like the design of the system itself. It could be things like, you know, individuals who are using eye gaze, for example. So they're actually just looking at the picture or right. at, the, at the letter. The spelling. So when you have a picture symbol, you can have not that many pictures per page. But when you have a spelling page, for example you have all the letters on one page. And what happens is when an individual tries to look at that that letter, it's harder to, the actual direct access and the accuracy of that access is more difficult. So those kids are struggling and they're struggling because the way that the system is designed. So I'm finding little things like that, that, you know, then Mm -hmm. might be helpful uh, in terms of, the design of the layout. Um, they're also saying that if if they've practiced the spelling a lot, well, that's very helpful right. because then that they're more likely to spell it if right. they know how to spell it and they have a lot of practice on how to spell it. Right. Or sometimes, you know, because the picture symbols, obviously you can imagine that there's overlays and overlays. It's like, like a computer. And mm-hmm. then so you have the first picture symbol might be household objects. And then under that, there will be another layer of kitchen. And then under that, there will be another layer of fridge. And then under that, there may be more. So they actually have to remember <laughs> that they have that picture symbol. And and that's a lot to remember. So sometimes they may not even remember that they have the word on their right. device and they may choose to spell because they think they don't have it on their device or they may not even have it on their device because somebody had to pre-program it. They're relying on somebody to so, program all that information. So this all comes in about the, you're talking about the environment, right? Yes. The environment they're in. So to me, that means the support system around them. Correct me if I'm wrong. So it's the, the support system around them the opportunities for maybe devices, opportunities for a safe place to be doing the learning so they're not getting frustrated, which I can imagine can be very frustrating when you're you're trying to communicate and you're finding that difficult. Mm -hmm. 
So what else about the environment? Is it also looking at, you know, we look at people's socioeconomic status. There's more opportunity, say, in a big city to get assistance than there is in the country, for instance. Mm -hmm. So is it all those sorts of things into play, including the family, how well the family takes on helping this individual? Absolutely. So you, you have it exactly right. So um, some of the things I'm finding, so you're right that if somebody is living in a rural area, they may have harder access to a clinic because, so one of the most important thing is for that individual to have access to AAC and have the proper assessment and a team that's knowledgeable right. about augmentative communication. So having access to that as early as possible and the right and the right act and, the, and getting the right device that is right for them. Another thing is to have people who believe in them. That's mm -hmm. another thing that's coming really up from those individuals is that they had someone, and most of the time it's the mother, but not always. Sometimes it can be someone else in their environment who really believed in them and really had high expectations of them and really involved the educational system and right. advocated for them. And providing opportunities. So because these individuals often are, are not, their physical limitations don't allow them to manipulate their environment, objects in their environment. So it's providing opportunities for them to be able to actually experiment in writing and mm -hmm. to have a device that allows them to to practice spelling and play with spelling just like a child is scribbling in the early right. years. And, and sometimes it's a letter and sometimes it's not quite a letter. A lot of research actually shows that individuals with physical impairment and speech impairments have very limited opportunities to practice writing. They have much better experiences to the reading Right. but much less in experimentation and writing. So that's really important. And the design of the AAC system, uh, like I was mentioning, it also voice output. So interestingly enough, in these cognitive communication system has improved over time, right? Mm. But it used to be, I find this fascinating, the individuals told me that they would need to misspell words on purpose so that the device would pronounce them correctly Oh. So that you could understand it. So <laughs> right. okay. it, it's just insane. It is insane. So they would have to learn how to spell the word in two different ways. Well, that's silly, isn't it? The way to get something correct on a spell test and then the way for someone to actually understand them. Well, that must be even more frustrating for them when they so, have to do that. Very, yes, very frustrating. And so, and opportunities, so creating a lot of opportunities. And the more opportunities that were given to them, or if somebody just kind of realized, saw their potential, mm -hmm. saw their intelligence, saw that maybe, okay, well, they're not really great reader and writer, but oh my God, look at his math skills, for example. Right. Just became aware of their, that they're, that of their intelligence and then allowed them to communicate and grow and learn, then it opens up, what happens is it, it opens up the whole world for them. Yeah. And they're really mentioning how it just more and more opportunities opened up to them. You know, they started to uh, attend university. They were invited to different speaking engagements and, and even internationally doing TED talk shows and right. so it's just very exciting 
the, the more somebody believes in you and sees and understands that, that you have potential, the more opportunities it it allows. allows. Mm-hmm. And I actually find it fascinating because you're right. I mean, just because they've got a, a physical disability doesn't mean to say they're not intelligent. Mm-hmm. These people aren't intelligent. They are. They just have that barrier where they can't get the words out at times or, yes. or, or write, as you, as you said. Yes. The other thing just I wanted to mm-hmm. mention is how much more challenging it is for them in the classroom right. because everything takes more effort. Yes. That's another thing that was kind of mentioned is that it's, everything is so much more effort and it takes so much more time. So imagine, you know, me and you were having a very quick-paced conversation. Communication for people with AC is a very much, much slower pace. And so a lot of research, like by uh, Catherine Howery, shows that. And what, what happens with these individuals is that they are trying to keep up with what's happening in the classroom. They may know what they want to say. They may, you know, they want to answer. But the pace in the classroom is so fast. Mm-hmm. By the time they're still trying to spell an answer, the teacher has moved uh-huh. on 30, you know, topics ahead. So it's the, it's the effort, it's the time and the physical effort to make those selections and choices and spelling. Mm-hmm. Everything is, just takes more time. And so it's so important to have communication partners who are patient. That's the crux of it all, right? And as you said, like in the school environment, even though we have accommodations and things uh, for certain students for different reasons, if it's something that's going to take more time, that's probably the hardest one to accommodate to a point. How long do we give someone the chance to, as you said, write down their answer before moving on to the next Yes. And we need to, because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, they have every right to being educated as well. But that's where some things make it make it more difficult. Because I would imagine, too, with all the work that you've been doing, you don't want to see these young, young kids or young adults being put in a separate classroom, because that no. doesn't help their own well-being either. Absolutely. Because there's nothing wrong with them. They just need need a bit more time. Absolutely. So as you know, years back, there's mm-hmm. a lot of segregation yes. that was happening for those individuals. And a lot of that was because there was like a real medical model that was being used. So instead of looking at these en- environmental factors, a lot of research at that time was looking at the personal factors. It was looking at how, what are the limitations of that individual right. and how can we quote-unquote, fix them, whereas, you know, so they were looking at their cognitive uh, skills, they were looking at their sensory, they were looking at language skills, maybe their phonological awareness skills, but I think it's really important to look beyond that Mm -hmm. and to look what can we do in our environment and take responsibility as a society to help those individuals to function and to communicate in uh, their environment and to integrate uh, into their environment. So at the end of the day, what are you hoping to achieve from your study? I'm really hoping that some of the findings from the study 
will help to influence to make some change, whether it's in the design of the system, AEC system themselves. Mm -hmm. So to make the designers aware of the current limitations of the system, such as I was mentioning that maybe the the way the spelling page is currently set up is uh, too difficult uh, for individuals and may need like longer a dwell time uh, for individuals to look at specific or, or less not less number of buttons or larger buttons for that spelling page, that the voice output quality has to be really good. So the, the, the design of the system, oh, and then another thing that people mentioned is that they really need systems that um, allow them auditory and visual feedback as they're spelling. So right. to be able to see what they're writing so that they, right. they have that on their system and to be able to hear as they're spelling and what is being said because right. that auditory and visual is really important to them. So the design of the AAC systems, you know, what can we do uh, in terms of education system and policies mm-hmm. um, in terms of... Um, being very supportive, patient, uh, giving them access to print uh, and access to a small structured success, uh, su- successes. A lot of people spoke about importance of uh, being able to do activities independently, literacy right. activities independently, mm-hmm. um, that anything that anyone learns is through practice, so they need to be have ability to, to do that. Uh, for people to believe in them and to give them opportunities to learn um, within the education system. Um, So I'm just hoping that this information has some effect and Mm -hmm. improves people's knowledge about how to help these individuals to attain literacy. Well, accessibility and inclusivity is a huge topic right now, Mm -hmm. and this is clearly an area that it started to try and be more inclusive and accessible. In, in, in a number of different ways, but still got a long way to go. Yes, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, we don't want the individual to feel like they're being a nuisance or getting frustrated when clearly they're more than capable of answering questions and being a part of society in the same way as everybody else. Um, absolutely. So I had great. such a wonderful time interviewing some of these uh, adults. I have to tell you, I've shared... During those interviews, I've shared incredible good laughs because they have such a great sense of humor. And uh, I've shed some literal tears Mm -hmm. with the power of their stories and what they have gone through. So it's it's a really humbling experience for me as an individual to have and privileged to have been able to hear their stories. Well, I'm sure they're really happy that you're fighting this for on their behalf to try and make things better for the next generations coming through. And it's marvellous work that you're doing. So thank you very much for coming on and sharing that with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And best of luck with it. How many more years have you got? I have one more year. One more year. Ooh. One more year. And I would just also like to thank, of course, all the participants who have helped me to with this research. Mm-hmm. And they are there internationally. But also to give a very warm thanks to my supervisor, Dr. Brata yes. Batarovic, who I could never do this work without her. She's extremely knowledgeable in the field of augmentative and alternative communication. 
And she has really guided me along my research and made it possible, as well as the committee members. So I have Dr. Heather Aldersay, who is uh, incredible. And she is uh, really, she has taught me courses in research. And she also is guiding me with developing the on the grounded theory aspect, because I am developing theory of how environmental factors are supporting this transition from graphic symbols to literacy. And so her knowledge in, in grounded theory methodology is critical in, in my success. And then also Martine, Dr. Martine Smith, mm-hmm. who is very knowledgeable on the literacy aspect oh, uh, in right. AAC, and yeah. she is actually in Ireland. Oh, awesome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Truly international. <laughs> Truly international and, and very lucky and fortunate to be supported by a wonderful team. It does make a difference, doesn't it? And yes. so like you're supporting these individuals down the track, it's good that you got your support system yes. around you too. We all yes. know that helps Absolutely. in everything that we do. Oh, and also my wonderful colleagues in the rehabilitation science program. I am very fortunate to have fantastic colleagues, and you've interviewed some of them. I know you've interviewed Navjeet already and others who, where we work together and uh, meet regularly and brainstorm and support each other. And I'm very fortunate to have those colleagues as well. Well, it's great to have you here too. So I'm glad you had that thought when you're out there being a clinician to come back and, and, and do this. And so... Congratulations. Uh, I know you've only got one year to go. It will go fast, but you've got some good results already by the sounds of it. Some good ideas to go and move forward. So thank you. Thank you so much, Colette. You're very welcome. (laughs) So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.